Welcome, church, and it delights me to invite you one more time to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We are winding down our journey in this amazing letter of Paul to that church in Ephesus. Can't believe we are almost done with this study, my first full-length book study here at Lamb's Chapel, and it has been a great journey for me. I hope it has been for you. Just last week, we talked about spiritual warfare, the, the, the fact that every believer, every single one of us as a child of God are engaged in combat with an unseen spiritual enemy every single day. And because his nature is spiritual and not physical, we require spiritual armor. And we looked at that armor last week, just to refresh your memory, to recap the components of that armor. Uh, we talked about First, the belt of truth, the belt of truth that holds everything together like a belt does. And this is not merely the reality of truth. This is known truth, which is our standard. And then we take that truth and we apply it and we live righteously by it. And that's the breastplate of righteousness. And it is righteous living that protects our heart. And that's by God's design. And then we talked about the shoes of assurance which is the knowledge of the gospel that we have received. And so by receiving that gospel, we have peace. And we have a sure footing in life. And we know that we are his and he will not let us fall. And then we went from there. And we talked about the shield of faith. Because with those shoes, what do you do? You walk. And as you walk, you come under fire. The enemy launches fiery darts at you. And so you need faith to deflect those darts that you could keep moving forward in trust of God and not in trust of self. And then we talked about the helmet of salvation, and that encases our mind because the battle begins in the mind. And so when we are encountering temptation, we got to remember our identity, right? That's what we talked about. We remember that we have already been delivered, and we don't need to fall to temptation. And then we closed out the armor of God by talking about the one and only component that is both offensive and defensive. It's the sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit, the Bible says, is the Word of God. And by this Word, with the Scripture, the promises of God, we can deflect the blows of our enemy. We can also inflict uh, damage upon him. When we throw the promises of God back at Satan, the Bible says he will flee. And so these are the promises that we have, and that is the armor of God. And it is powerful, but as powerful as that armor is, Paul did not close out his letter right after the armor. He's got something more for us. He's got to remind us about something else, because when you understand how powerful you are, when you understand the wealth of resources you have, what might you be tempted to do? You might be tempted to relax, you might look at all of this that I now possess as a believer. Look at how powerful God's word says I am. You might begin to rely on yourself. And Paul says, no, we can't have you do that. Can't have you do that. And if you think back in this letter at all that we have talked about, going back to chapter 1, Paul has told us, You've received every spiritual blessing of heaven. You are uh, chosen. You are adopted. You are predestined. God has lavished his grace upon you. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. The mystery of his will has been revealed to you. You've got an inheritance. You are part of another kingdom, not of this world. You are part of a family, the family of God. Uh, you are powerful beyond your imagination. You have insight into his word because of the spirit that lives in you. You now know how to continue 
conduct life in all of these different relationships, in your marriage, in your parenting, in the workplace. Uh, He's given you this amazing weaponry to combat your enemy with. Despite all of that, you still need prayer. You need prayer. Because without prayer, you're going to get puffed up. You're going to get lazy. You're going to be lethargic. You begin to rely on yourself. Paul says you can't do that. Prayer comes on the heels of the armor of God. It is related to the armor of God, but it is not itself a component of the armor of God. It's much bigger than all of that. It's much bigger. It's not related to a piece of the armor. We've got the helmet of salvation. We've got the sword of the spirit. We've got the shield of faith. There's no spear of prayer. There's no bow and arrow of prayer. No, prayer is not a single spiritual weapon. It is that which empowers the whole ensemble, you see. There is a word in the first verse that we're going to look at today that repeats. Look at the most commonly used word. Listen for it as I read verse 18 of Ephesians 6. Paul says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication... To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. What's the word? It's the word all. All times, all prayer, all perseverance, all the saints. And so in your notes, what you need to understand is that prayer is God's strategy for the totality of the Christian life. The entirety of our existence needs to be covered in prayer. There is no better way for Paul to wrap up this amazing letter. So why don't we pray before we move further in this study? Heavenly Father, I ask your blessing upon our time and your word today as, as this apostle leaves us with this important word about the all-important concept of prayer because there is no power apart from prayer. And so we, uh, Lord, ask for uh, your spirit to illuminate what we're about to read, that we might apply it, that we might be empowered by it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Every great Christian has a rich and uh, consistent prayer life. The Christian soldier has all these spiritual weapons, but they will not be valuable apart from prayer. Because in your notes, to be effective in combat for the Lord, the believer must have communion with the Lord. You want to do combat? you got to have communion. Now, we just took what we call communion as an ordinance of the church. Uh, and that is, that is to be in communion with the Lord, to remember what he did for us at Calvary. But when I speak of communion here, I'm speaking of prayer, that when you pray, you are in communion with God. You are communicating with God. And this is something that you need in your life because you can know the Bible, you can know all the right words, you can do all the right things. If you don't have prayer, you're functioning as someone who is dead. You need the power of prayer. And it's not something you can fake. You can look the part, you can sound right, but you just can't fake it because all will be revealed. I I lived on uh, the first floor of dorm five my freshman year at Liberty University, and uh, the guys were undergoing a spiritual challenge that first semester. We were challenging one another to establish a consistent prayer time, a consistent daily devotion in the Word and in prayer. And so some guys were seeking to establish that first thing in the morning, early in the morning. Other guys are like, "Ah, I'm not really a morning guy. I'm going to do it before bedtime, which you know, doesn't always work out the way you envision. 
Exhibit A, we had one guy, he related this experience to us. He said that he was, he was going to start out having his quiet time right before bed. He came back one night to his dorm room. Uh, he was all alone. He dimmed the lights. He got his Bible, put it on his bed, and he knelt down by his bed, and he folded his hands, and he started to pray just like this. And within minutes, he nodded off and fell asleep. Just like that. A little bit later, his roommate comes in, opens the door. It's dim in the room. He sees his roommate in prayer, appears to be in prayer, doesn't want to disturb him. And so he gets ready for bed, slips into his bunk. He goes to sleep. The next morning, that guy wakes up, rubs his eyes, yawns, looks over, sees his roommate still like this. And he says, dude, you are so spiritual. And at that moment, the other guy wakes up, realizes what's happening, and very slyly says, in Jesus' name, amen. You know? Listen, you can't fake prayer, all right? You can, you can look the part. As I said, you can impress people with your verbiage when you pray publicly. You can impress them with your posture, but your life reveals it. you got to have a consistent life of prayer. It's the standard of a true relationship with God. And there are many texts on this throughout our Bible, but none better than this one right here. And so we're going to walk through this together. Now, let's promise not to elbow one another, okay? Let's promise not to... At people, because this is something we can all improve on. Is that true? We can all be better in our prayer life. But let's break this down line by line. As I go back to the top of verse 18, Paul tells us what this looks like. He says, praying at all times. And so, first of all, in your notes, when do we pray? Answer, constantly. We pray constantly. In Romans 12, 12, Paul says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. He wrote to Timothy. He told him, he said, I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. A Christian should pray at all times. You, you got to pray like, you're, like you breathe. You pray as you breathe. How many of you are breathing right now? I'm a little concerned. Only a few of you raised your hands right now. If you're breathing, you should be in a state of prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without Ceasing. You know what that means? That means that there is no posture that is required for prayer. No physical posture is required for prayer. Now, when we pray collectively, as we just did a moment ago, I invite you to bow your head, close your eyes. That is for a spirit of reverence. But do you have to do that for God to hear you? You do not. You do not have to bow your head and close your eyes. You can pray anywhere, anytime. You can pray walking around. You can pray driving your car down the street. And if you do that, pray, pray driving your car down the street, please, oh, please, don't close your eyes and bow your head, okay? Or you're going to be communing with God face to face in just a moment. And so you are to pray without ceasing. What does that mean? What does that look like? It means uh, it's to live in a way... Uh, where everything we experience is a form of prayer. Everything we experience as we live, as we operate in a perpetual state of awareness, of surrender to God, your life is to be a prayer to the Lord. Your life is to be a prayer to the Lord. Why? In your notes, because our need for him never ends. Is there ever a time where you don't need God? You need him at all times, don't you? And so you're to be constantly in prayer. You always need his help. Anybody ever face temptation? 
Every day, Pastor Scott, that's right. You need his help to deliver you from temptation. You ever see evil in the world? Are you ever aware of evil in the world? Unless you're a hermit in a cabin somewhere, yeah, you encounter evil all the time. So you need to pray that God's will will be done as he instructed us to pray. You pray this way. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You ever run into people that don't know Jesus? If not, you need to expand your sphere of influence. You need to meet some lost people, okay? And when you do, you need to be in prayer that God will use you to touch their heart, to penetrate their heart with the gospel. That You need to pray that God will give you words to speak to them, that they might come to know Jesus Christ. Draw them to him. You ever encounter trouble? You ever go through tough times? I know you do because I talk to a lot of you and you tell me about it. You tell me what's going on with you or with your family or with somebody that you know. I've had many of these conversations today. And so when we're in trouble, our first thought needs to be our deliverer. We go to our knees. We ask for help. So instead of asking, when should I pray, maybe when do I not pray? When should I not pray? Here's when you shouldn't pray. Or here's when you don't need to pray. You don't need to pray when you don't need God. You don't need to pray when Satan has retired. You don't need to pray when God stops loving you. Are any of those things going to happen in this lifetime? No way. And so we need to be constantly in prayer. As long as there's a weakness, a great commission, the flesh, the devil, all right, we need prayer because we have a need that never ends. And then in your notes, it's because our relationship with him never ends. Does God love you? You are in relationship with him. He, he has a love for you. And so you're in that relationship. And as his child, you are in constant relationship with him. You know why? Because his spirit lives in you. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you're trusting in what he did on the cross. You have received grace. You have received his spirit. And his spirit lives in you. Back in the Old Testament, the Jews had the temple on the mount there. Solomon built it. In that temple was a room. It was called the Holy of Holies. In that room was the presence of God. And there was a veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the outer court. Only one person could go in there, a high priest. He, he had unique qualifications. Levitical line and all of that. And he would go in there and only at certain times could he go in there and commune with God. Right? Well, guess what? When Jesus was on the cross and he breathed his last, what happened to that veil? It ripped from the top to the bottom, signifying what? Access granted. The presence of God is not limited to a room. It's not limited to one priest that may come and go uh, at the direction of the Lord. No, now you are the temple. You who trust in Christ. His spirit lives in you. And you don't need a human priest you had one. His name was Jesus Christ. And now because of your faith in him and the spirit that lives in you, not only are you a temple, you've got something called the priesthood of the believer where you don't need to go between anymore. You go straight to God. You go right to him boldly. You approach the throne of grace with confidence as Hebrews says, and that is your relationship. There is no facet of life that, that is outside of that relationship. Everything that you experience, you view through the lens of your fellowship with God. And this is summed up by Paul in Colossians 3. He says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. 
Everything is viewed through the lens of your relationship with Christ. It's this ongoing uh, uh, fellowship of the believer with God. Paul says pray at all times. How? In the Spirit. We pray in the Spirit. You are never separated from God because you're indwelled by that Spirit. So you pray in the Spirit. Now some people look at that and they think that that means, uh, that, 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 that means to pray in the Spirit is to pray in tongues. No, that's not what that means. That means that you are indwelled by the Spirit and you are praying in submission to that Spirit because the Spirit, the, the, the Spirit is ensured that your communication is always open, but it does need to deepen. It does need to deepen. And so you need to listen to the Spirit's lead as you pray. And you need to ask, what is it that God wants? How do I align my will with God? Now, how many of you struggle knowing what to pray for? When you pray, it, it's kind of hard to know how to pray sometime. Here's, here's the good news. Romans 8.26 says this. <laughs> Likewise, the Spirit that lives here, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. I can relate to that. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now that is good news. When you don't know what to pray for, and sometimes we don't, sometimes we know we just need to talk to God about something we don't even know what it is. How do I pray? Well, here's the good news. you got a Spirit that is praying for you. He is interceding for you. You don't know what God's will is, but guess who does? The Holy Spirit does, because he's God. And so God is praying for you. And this is groanings too deep for words. And some people go, well, there you go. That's praying in tongues. Uh, no, that's not the context there. You say, are, are you one of these guys that thinks that all tongues have ceased and all that? Well, no, I'm not. But you know what? The context here has nothing to do with you or I making groanings too deep for words. This is the Spirit. And he is articulating things that we don't know how to articulate to the Father. And he is in complete uh, unity with the will of God. And so the more that I submit to the Spirit as I pray, the more in tune with the will of God I become. The more I embrace my identity as a child of God, I'm going to be more in tune with the, the will of the Father. And so as I submit and obey... I'm going to begin to pray things that are in tune with the will of God. That is praying in the Spirit. And so we're to always be in that mindset of connection to God and prayer to God. Paul says pray at all times in the Spirit. And then he says with all prayer and supplication. And so in your notes, what do we pray about? Everything. You pray about everything. You pray about anything. Paul says all prayer and supplication. That means all kinds of prayers. Did you know you can pray about anything? You can ask God for anything? Did you know that? Some people struggle with that. You know? And here's the cool thing. Since he's God, he has the capability to answer. He can grant any request. He can grant any request. Do we know that? Have we accepted that? Would that change the way we pray? Would we be more bold in how we pray? Huh? You can ask God for anything. Some people really struggle with that. I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm kind of embarrassed to ask God for that. I kind of feel like, like that's too much. 
Too much for God? Like, yeah, I, I feel like it's a little greedy. Like, you know, I don't want to take all the blessings. <laughs> what? Like, Joe's going to come along later? He didn't get up as early as you, and God's going to be like, yeah, Joe, I'm sorry, Betty got here before you, and <laughs> she took all the blessings. Come back tomorrow, you know. No, our God loves to give. He loves to give. Jesus said as much uh, in Matthew 7. 7, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Now, that should be pretty clear. Ask and it will be given to you. But just in case, he says it a different way. He goes on. He says, seek and you will find. Wow. Well, that's pretty clear. But then he goes one more. He says, knock and it will be opened to you. Well, that is a blessing right there, but just in case we didn't get it, he drives it home. In verse 8, he says, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. It will be opened. Now, do we believe that or not? Now, here's the thing. This doesn't mean that your desire that you are specifically requesting will always be accommodated. This is not name it and claim it stuff, in case you're worried about that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the Lord hears every prayer, every prayer of his children. If you are his and you pray, you will find an audience with God. And it's a powerful God that we are praying to. He has the ability to answer prayer. You will, an you will receive an answer from the Lord. Now, it might not be the answer that you're looking for, but there's always an answer. There's no such thing as unanswered prayers. I remember a Garth Brooks song. Some of you are like, amen. <laughs> I, I like the Garth man, all right? But he had this song, Unanswered Prayers. If you know the song, he and his wife starts out, they're going to an old uh, high school football game, his alma mater, and he's there, and he, meet, he sees this old flame of his, and he recalls in the song how he used to ask God to make her mine, he says. But then, uh, he, you know, God never answered that prayer, and now he looks at his wife, and he says, sometimes I thank God. For unanswered prayers, you know? And that makes for a good country song, despite the fact Garth left his wife for Trisha Yearwood. Anyway, <laughs> is that how that went? I don't know. Sorry, Garth. Um, but there's no such thing as unanswered prayer. God answers every prayer. It's either yes, no, or wait. And that third one can be hard. I gotta wait, but he answers every prayer okay and we need to be in submission but 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 you can come with boldness and you can ask he wants you to ask don't worry about the answer you can ask you're free to ask some of us struggle with that i don't know i don't want to ask charles spurgeon says asking is the rule of the kingdom god wants you to ask he wants you to ask james says you have not because you ask not and sometimes we ask and we still have not because god knows you need not and that's called sovereignty. He's a whole lot wiser than we are. He's like, no, that's not what you need. I'm not going to give you that. And so we don't always get it. And we trust that and we submit. But asking is perfectly fine because it means that you're relying on him. And, and then you are changed in the whole process. And Paul says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. So in your notes, how should we pray? How should we pray? In a state of watchfulness. In a state of watchfulness. He says pray with perseverance. Keep alert. Uh, keep alert is the Greek word agrupnuntes. It means watch. It means be watching. 
I'm reminded of Gethsemane. Jesus goes off, leaves his disciples. He goes off to pray by himself, comes back. What are they doing? They've fallen asleep. They've pulled that maneuver, that guy in the dorm room. They fell asleep. He says, could you not watch with me one hour? And then he says in verse 41, Matthew 26, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You still have this, this fallen, corrupt flesh, this old nature. You've got the spirit, but you need to pray to tap into the spirit so that you don't fall to temptation. The enemy is coming for you. This concept of watchfulness, it hit home with the early church because they were a persecuted people. They were constantly in the crosshairs of the government, the Romans, the Pharisees. And of course, the greatest enemy, Satan. They were persecuted. Now, we are not today persecuted in the same sense. I know we think we are. We get a little huffy when Starbucks doesn't write Merry Christmas on our red cup in December. But the truth is we still, we still have the same eternal enemy that the early church did. Satan is coming for us. And he wants to ensnare us. And we need to be watchful. We need to pray at all times. We need to be constantly alert and too many of us only pray when things get bad. No, you need to be in prayer at all times when things are going good. When you're serving the Lord, you need to be in prayer. Because that's when you're the biggest threat to the enemy. So you stay prayed up for when that evil day comes. Remember 9-11? Were churches packed out after 9-11? They were seeking the Lord. People were on their knees. Lasted like two weeks. And then we all felt safe again. We went back to life as normative. You know, we need to be in prayer at all times. I heard a story about a church and a financial, uh, uh, you know, they had a financial burden. They were struggling paying their mortgage. Pastor called the elders together. He says, fellas, we need to pray. One of them goes, has it come to that? <laughs> we need to be in constant prayer with perseverance. The word for perseverance is proskarterese. It means uh, it means to give oneself over. This is the only place in your New Testament it appears. To, to be fully given over. To be zealous for something. Paul had great zeal for prayer. We see this throughout his letter. In chapter 1, he says in verse 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He had this pattern of, of ever-present watchfulness. And as he prayed for them, and we read on in verse uh, 17 of chapter 1, he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he is called. Do you see what he's praying for? He's not praying for physical things. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. You should pray to, for God to meet people's physical needs. We could pray for anything, as I've said. But what is he most preoccupied with? What is he most concerned with? Spiritual needs. Paul is most concerned with that which most concerns God. And you and I need to make sure that we are preoccupied with the things that preoccupy God. I was just at Samaritan's Purse this, this past week. This is a tremendous ministry that we support here at TLC. I'm very glad that we do. 
And I went out there. It was a pastor's uh, roundtable. Several pastors from around the country whose churches support Samaritan's Purse going out there. We got to meet with Franklin Graham, talk with him. He was sharing with us about some of the wonderful programs in that ministry, one of them being Operation Christmas Child, which we do here. Yes, and I love Operation Christmas Child. I love to see those shoeboxes filled with, with things that are going to just be a blessing to children around the world. And I think 6,000 boxes came out of here last year. We want to blow that out, by the way, this year. So I hope that you're gearing up to help us with that. We're going to be telling you how you could be involved. It's tremendous ministry. Uh, But Franklin told us in the early days of Operation Christmas Child, those first three years, the program was in the red. They were like $9 million in debt. And he said it occurred to him that that program at that time was purely benevolent. It was just about putting a box in the hand of a kid and getting a smile. And that's really all it was, just, just to, to give them a physical blessing at Christmas time, to give underprivileged kids uh, a gift. And he said it wasn't until the end of year three when we said something's missing. We need to accompany every gift with a presentation of the gospel so that they would get the greatest gift, so that they would come to know Christ, and we would follow up, and we would disciple them. And that's what makes this ministry special. He said, since we made that decision, we've never looked back. That program's never been in the red since. God has provided for it every step of the way. They just gave their 200 millionth shoebox away to a little girl in Ukraine. And we support that at this church. Amen? And that is the outreach, but it's more than just a present. It's the, it's the hope of Jesus Christ. And how, only God knows how many youngsters have come to faith in Christ because of that. But you got to be concerned with people's spiritual needs, not just their physical needs. you got to ask God when you pray, do something that lasts forever. Don't just do something that will meet needs temporarily. Make an eternal difference. Satan can distract us by enticing us to pray for good things, but not God things. we got to be focused on the big picture. Now back to chapter 6 of Ephesians. Paul says, you do all this, and he goes on saying, making supplication for all the saints. Meaning we don't just pray for ourselves. We don't just pray for our immediate circle. We expand our prayer. Who do we pray for? Uh, In your notes, first of all, we pray for believers in general. Believers in general. All the saints Around the world, Paul's saying, pray for the church. Pray for God's children. Uh, Does this mean that we don't pray for unbelievers? No. Paul commands us to pray for unbelievers elsewhere, but the context here in Ephesians is the church. That's been the context since chapter 1. This whole book is about the church. We are a new people. That's the name of our series. And so we're focusing on all the saints, the body of Christ. Do you pray for the church? I hope you pray for your home church. Please do. But also pray for the church at large. Pray for the body of Christ around the world. Okay? Because they need prayer. We've just talked about the armor of God. You and I are targeted every day by Satan. You know who else is? Every single believer around the world. When I was at Samaritan's Purse, they took us to what they call their GSOC. GSOC stands for Global Security Operations Center. They had all of these computer monitors all over the, the wall. You thought you were at the Pentagon, for Pete's sake. And every they have 5,000 employees uh, worldwide and many more volunteers. And all of them working around the world have downloaded this app to their phone. And Samaritan's Purse from Boone tracks them all. They see them on a map. 
They know where every single person is so they can pray for them, so they can be aware of where they are, what their needs are. And if they're in harm's way, they send them a notification saying, hey, we're, we're concerned for you, we're praying for you, we're watching you, and we want you to be out of harm's way, etc." And folks, you've got, you, you've got a, an HQ whereby you are praying for every believer around the world, and it's called your prayer closet. And you lift up to God who sees all the needs of the, the, the righteous around the world. They need prayer. They're in spiritual harm's way. Peter, 1 Peter 5, 9 says, resist him, that's the devil, firm in faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood around the world. What you're going through, others are going through. And some of them are, are succeeding, but they still need your prayer. That they may be triumphant. And guess what? They're praying for you. If they're mature in Christ, they're praying for you too. They don't know your name. And they're lifting you up. So you lift them up, whether you know their name or not. Paul modeled this. We see it in Ephesians 3. In the middle of this glorious letter <laughs> that's practical, in chapter 3, he drops a prayer. We read it in verse 14 of chapter 3. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, have enough strength to comprehend with all the saints... <laughs> what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? See, he's praying for all the saints, and he models this in the middle of this letter. And now at the end of that letter, he's, he's closing it out by, by reminding us of what he has already modeled, the power and the importance of prayer. And he says, don't just pray for believers in general in your notes, but pray for specific believers. Specific believers, pray for people by name. Paul says, uh, pray for all the saints, but in verse 19, he says, and also for me. Pray for me. They know his name. So we are to pray for people, not just in a general sense, but we're to pray for believers by name. Did you know there's power when you pray for people by name? When you name things in prayer, there's power there. When you get specific as to people's identities and their needs, God wants you to pray specifically. Why? Because when you pray specifically, because some people go, well, he already knows their name. God knows their name. Okay, well, yeah, you're right. God knows everything. By that logic, you don't need to pray at all because God already knows. Why are you praying? He wants you to pray. He wants you to pray. Because when you pray for other people, what are you not consumed with? Yourself. Yourself. He wants you to be focused on others, drawing from the power of God to apply into their lives, to meet their needs, to lift them up for the cause of Christ. You have the vision of God when you are praying for others, and that's good for you so that you grow to be more like Christ. Remember the pandemic when it started? Prior to the pandemic, there was a whole bevy of stuff in the news that we were all very concerned with, a whole list of anxieties, and then COVID hit, goes around the world, and then all you heard about was COVID. Did all that other stuff go away? No, but there was something else that took our focus for a time that was pretty darn important, and we just kind of forgot about it. Some stuff didn't seem as important anymore. I'm told that 
before World War II in England, there was uh, mass psychological problems going on. People would, would seek help for a variety of neuroses, personal problems, worry, anxiety, about this or that. Then the war came. All that sort of just went away because there were new anxieties. People were concerned about their children. They were concerned about their homes. Would they survive? What about loved ones on the front lines? Are they going to be okay? And so there was a new issue, and they became uh, concerned about something pressing, and all of their stuff that they were so preoccupied with that was petty was no longer front of mind. What's the point? When you preoccupy yourself with the things of God, you're engaging in spiritual warfare on behalf of others. It removes uh, all of the pettiness of your own life. And you, you are enlightened. You are illuminated to the things that matter to God. And prayer begins to change things, not just situations, but you. It changes you. And you intercede for other people. Just like we read about the Holy Spirit in Romans 8. When you don't know how you ought to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes on your behalf. Well, when you pray for other people, that's called intercession. When you pray for yourself, that's called petition. And petition is wonderful. We're all to do it. But you're never more like Jesus than when you are praying for other people, when you're interceding for them. You want to be a healthy person? You want to be a growing Christian? Lose yourself in prayer on behalf of others. This is the zeal, the perseverance Paul is talking about. And so he makes a specific request. He says, pray also for me. What does he ask for? He asks for two things. He says, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So in your notes, there are a couple of spiritual concerns here. There's eloquence and there's boldness. Eloquence is boldness. I hope that when you pray for all the saints that you are also praying for God's great commission to be accomplished. That his gospel would go out. That people would respond. That they would come to faith in Christ. And if that's going to happen, God's people are going to need eloquence and boldness. Why are these both necessary? Well, you need the right words. Because Paul describes the gospel as a mystery. Okay? And so God's people who have received the gospel, who know the gospel, we need the right words to articulate the gospel. Now, I think if you just say the basic facts of the gospel, God loves you, Jesus died for you, he rose again, that's the gospel, you know? And I think God can use that because his word does not return void. But sometimes God can use specific words in specific situations in a strategic way to reach people when they would not ordinarily be reached. Paul demonstrated this. He says, I have become all things to all people that I may, by some means, save some. And so we pray for eloquence. We pray that God would give us the right words. But you don't just pray for eloquence. you got to pray for boldness too. Why? Because eloquence is subjective. You pray for eloquence, you might not ever be sure you're eloquent enough, and so you might not ever open your mouth. I just need to pray for more eloquence. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not eloquent enough. So you got to pray for boldness so that you'll be so bold, you'll just open your mouth and you'll start and you let God worry about the eloquence. You just open your mouth and speak. You pray and you let God work it all out and then you open your mouth. I grew up Southern Baptist. We had a, an evangelism strategy some years ago called faith. Faith evangelism. 
And it was an outline. You took that word faith. It was five letters, F-A-I-T-H. And each letter stood for a different word and a different concept, and you used it to explain the gospel to people. So you'd talk to somebody, an unbeliever, and you'd launch into this outline. And you'd say, well, you know, there's this word, uh, faith. You spell it out on your hand. The first letter is F. F stands for forgiveness. In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. A is for available. What's available? Forgiveness is available. It's available to all. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Uh, Now, the problem is I, I is impossible. It's impossible for God to allow sin to enter heaven. Well, that's a problem because the Bible says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what's the solution here? Well, T stands for turn. Turn means repent. You got to turn from sin and self and you turn to Jesus because he's the answer. He's the way, the truth, the life. And if you do that, you got H. H is for heaven and heaven is eternal life. So that was the outline. Well, in the early days of faith evangelism, they did trainings and they trained people to do what I just did, present the gospel using faith. And so there was this, I heard a story about this farmer who loved to talk to people about Jesus, and he was all gung-ho, and he was excited, and he prayed that God would make him eloquent, and he prayed that God would make him bold. And so he went out, and he was going to use the faith outline, and he's meeting with this unbeliever, and he says, well, you know, uh, there's a way that I'd like to explain this to you. He goes, the first letter is F, and F stands for faith. And then he realized, oh, no, F stands for forgiveness. But he was already into the, the presentation, so he goes, F is for faith because... Because it's by grace through faith that you are saved, not of works, you see. And then the second letter, and he blanked out, and he goes, is E. (laughs) And he's like, oh, no. He's thinking, what could E stand for? Well, E stands for everyone, because Christ died for everyone. God so loved the world. That's that's everyone, no matter who you are. And And then... the next letter, and he had a background in evangelism explosion, or EE, so he just said, the next letter is E. And E stands for everywhere, because it doesn't matter where you are, where you've come from, what you've done, God sees you, and he loves you. And, and then he remembered there's a T in there somewhere, so he said, and the last letter is T, which is for turn, and that spells feet. <laughs> because when Christ... Conquered sin at Calvary, God just stomped all over the devil. (laughs) Would you like to get saved? And the guy goes, yes. (laughs) And he prayed to receive Christ. God answered, you pray for eloquence and boldness. You might not think you're eloquent, but God can use it if you will be faithful to be bold. He'll grant you boldness. And so Paul says in verse 20, I'm asking for this. And he says, because I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He says, I'm an ambassador. This is the same word used in 2 Corinthians 5 in verse 20. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors. You are an ambassador. Did you know that? As much as Paul was, you are an emissary for the gospel. You represent Christ And so we're in this world, we've got a job to do, and we need prayer. Paul didn't just sit there in prison and think, well, there's nothing I can do. I'm just in prison here. He prayed for eloquence and boldness. While he's in chains, 
in a jail cell when a lot of us would just be like, well, you know, because he could have asked, he could have said, pray that God will spring me from this place. Pray that, pray that, you know, I got this chain on my leg, my leg's getting rubbed raw, pray for my right leg. He didn't pray for, he prayed, he asked them to pray for his boldness that he may proclaim the gospel. And if you know anything about Paul, you know that he won his guards and his jailers to Christ everywhere he went. What an annoying guy. God would that we would be as annoying as Paul, that we would be bold, that we would be ambassadors. He saw himself the same way, no matter what his circumstance, and he asked for the same boldness, no matter what his circumstance. And so there are practical reasons that we must pray for all believers. There are practical reasons that we don't pray for all believers. Because sometimes we don't know what they're going through. We don't know their situation. We don't know their need. And so Paul recognizes people need to know my need. They need to know what my requests are. And he remedies that in verse 21. He says, so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you this, for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And so in your notes, how can we help others pray for us? By alerting them to our need. By alerting them to our need. This is how the body works. Do you understand this? Let me explain this to you. I can't expect you to pray for me about specific things if I don't let you know about them. We need to let the body know about what's going on in the body. And so Paul sees that, understands that. I'm going to send Tychicus to you guys. By the way, this is a dear friend of Paul's. He's in the New Testament like five times. This is the guy that that you and I have to thank for the fact that we get to read the book of Ephesians because he's the one who delivered it. And he brings a word about Paul. They don't know what's going on. They're worried about Paul. They're concerned about Paul. And so he communicates with them about Paul's situation. Here's what Paul needs right now. And if they didn't know his need, they wouldn't know how to pray specifically. So the body has to function in this way. You got a need? Tell somebody. That's how his body works. That's how the church operates. Some people are like, nope. Nope, I'm going to be super Christian. I'm going to sit here in silence and I'm going to suffer. You're not impressing God. You let the people of God know how to pray for you. Prayer for others helps them grow. Don't you deprive people of that. You tell them what's going on in your life so that they can lift you up, so that they can take the focus off themselves and become what God wants them to be. Who are you to deprive them of that? It's not for you to do. It's good for them. It's good for you. Talk about a win-win. This is what God wants. If you want to elevate your request, then you pray the way that Paul's praying. By the way, as I've said, you you ask for anything. You pray for anything. But here's what Paul asked for. He says, pray for me. Pray for me that when Satan wants to silence me, he will discover that he can't shut me up. That's what he prays for. He says, pray for me that I will be victorious against our spiritual enemy, that I will win the battle. And he closes this whole thing out. Verse 23, peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. You see how people used to end letters? Nobody knows how to write letters like this anymore. We all text each other with, you know, poop emojis and things like that. 
This is the poetry of God right here. There's really nothing I can add to this. Paul has wound down this beautiful, beautiful epistle with something so important. And the parting thought for you in your notes here is this, that prayer is the expression of a unified, spirit-filled people. That's who we are. We are the people of God. We are members of his body. We are part of his family. There is something that unifies us that the world cannot relate to. And we are stronger together. And we are stronger when we pray for one another. Local church, global church, this is his design. Because we all have a mission. And he wants us to be victorious. So let's lift one another up. I want to pray for all of you right now. Would you bow your head? Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for the power of this book that we have just completed, God. What an an amazing study. Thank you for the time and the word. Lord, I pray that it has been fruitful for everybody here today. I lift up each person in this room, those in the first service, God, everyone watching online now or at a later date, God. I lift up all believers around the world right now, God, and I pray that you would fill us with your spirit. I I pray that you would give us a holy confidence of our identity, of what you have done for us, that the devil has been defeated already. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would daily don the armor of God, that we would be so aware of the power we have access to, God. I pray we would be attentive to the needs of others around us, that we would get the big picture, Lord, and that we would grow and flourish in our relationship with you and with one another, that we could be all that you have designed for us to be. Because we are your people. We carry within us your spirit. We carry within us the most profound, most important message that the world has ever known. And we want to be good stewards of that, God. And so we need you. And we need each other. Because we are a new people. And we give this day and every day to you in Jesus' name. Amen.